the way somebody told me the story back in the day was kind of like this. Quote, on a recent weekend in Atlantic City, a woman won a full bucket of quarters at a slot machine. She took a break from the slots for dinner with her husband in the hotel dining room. But first, she wanted to stash the quarters in her room. I'll be right back and then we'll go eat, she told her husband, and carried the coin-laden bucket to the elevator. As she was about to walk into the elevator, she noticed two men already aboard. Both were black. One of them was tall, very tall, an intimidating figure. The woman froze. Her first thought was, these two are going to rob me. Her next thought was, don't be a bigot. They look like perfectly nice gentlemen. But racial stereotypes are powerful and fear immobilized her. She stood and stared at the two men. She felt anxious, flustered, and ashamed. She hoped they didn't read her mind, but gosh, they had to know what she was thinking. Her hesitation about joining them in the elevator was all too obvious now. Her face was flushed. She couldn't just stand there, so with a mighty effort of will, she picked up one foot and stepped forward and followed with another foot and was on the elevator finally. Avoiding eye contact, she turned around stiffly and faced the elevator doors as they closed. A second passed, and then another second, and then another. Her fear increased. The elevator didn't move. Panic consumed her. My God, she thought, I'm trapped and about to be robbed. Her heart plummeted. Perspiration poured out from every pore. Then one of the men said, hit the floor. Instinct told her what to do, to do what they had told her. The bucket of quarters flew upwards as she threw out her arms and collapsed on the floor. A shower of coins rained down on her. Take my money and spare me, she prayed. More seconds passed. She heard one of them say politely, Ma'am, if you tell us what floor you're going to, we'll push, it for, we'll push the button for you. The one who said it had a little trouble getting the words out. He was trying mightily to hold in a belly laugh. The woman lifted her head and looked up to the two men. They reached down to help her up. Confused, she struggled to her feet. When I told my friend here to hit the floor, said the average-sized one, I meant that he should hit the elevator button for our floor. I didn't mean for you to hit the floor, ma'am. He spoke genially. He bit his lip. It was obvious he was having a hard time not laughing. The woman thought, My God, what a spectacle I've made for myself. She was too, hum too humiliated to speak. She wanted to blurt out an apology, but words failed her. How do you apologize to two perfectly respectable gentlemen for behaving as though they were going to rob you? She didn't know what to say. The three of them gathered up the strewn quarters and refilled their bucket. When the elevator arrived at her floor, they then insisted on walking her to her room. She seemed a little unsteady on her feet, and they were afraid she might not make it down the corridor. At her door, they bid her a good evening. As she slipped into her room, she could hear them roaring with laughter as they walked back to the elevator. The woman brushed herself off. She put herself together and went downstairs for dinner with her husband. The next morning, the next morning flowers were delivered to her room. A dozen roses. Attached to each rose was a crisp $100 bill. The card said, Thanks for the best laugh we've had in years. It was signed, Eddie Murphy and Michael Jordan. End quote. I heard about this back in the day, like I said, uh, but when I was told the story, uh, it was always Michael Jordan, but it was Charles Barkley. But uh, that's neither here nor there. 
the reason why I'm telling you guys this is because I had a situation yesterday that I thought was both interesting, funny, uh, and a little bit of, and a little bit sad, just a little bit. I was on my way to pick up kids, and as I was driving down, and, and I was about 10 to 15 minutes away from them, driving down a very busy boulevard, and as I crossed an intersection and was making my way down the, you know, down the way, I noticed that two cars ahead of me, there was a truck that was stuck in the middle of the road. It was literally, uh, you know, crossing it, you know, crossing it. It was intersecting. There was no way around it. It was a big truck. And there didn't seem to be any driver in it. That's odd. Uh, but there were two cars behind me. And then I noticed that there were three cars back and then a stop sign. And then cars starting to pile up way behind us with a ton of pedestrians going up and down, I mean, crossing the way. So I was hoping that the truck would be able to move food, uh, move away fast and then we could get through. But be, that, not having a driver in the car wasn't a good sign. I waited for about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds. And if you know anything about me, um, know this. I, uh, I am punctual as all get out. I will always arrive to appointments 10 to 15 minutes early if I can because I want to make sure that A, I'm in the right place and B, that they know that I am prompt and ready to discuss business when we're supposed to start. Equally, it pisses me the fuck off when people are late. Um, and I've been in real estate for a long time and for a client to show up 20, 30 minutes late to, a, to, to an appointment, um, that's very hard because sometimes we've made appointments to show properties within a certain window of time and 20 minutes here and there, that coupled with traffic, can make havoc uh, for showing appointments. But I'm digressing. 30, 40 seconds go by. There's nobody out. There's nobody in the truck. I make it a point to get out of my vehicle, park it, get out of my vehicle, and start walking towards the truck to figure out what is going on. Because nobody else is. Out of the, uh, you know, at the corner of my eye, across the way, the driver finally runs up to the truck. And since I'm the only person that's, that had been in a vehicle and is walking towards him, he yells at me. It's like, I am completely stuck. Something about an axle had broken and that truck was going nowhere. All right. I asked him if he was all right. He said, yeah, but there's, he's got a tow truck on the way, but there's no moving this vehicle. So I'm like, all right, well, now I got to make arrangements for not only uh, myself, but all the people behind me to back up. But because I'm proactive for the two vehicles ahead of, of me, I want to let them know that I've, I've had a conversation with this person and that we're all going to have to move. Now, I don't have to do that. But I tend to want to help others around me, especially if I have information that I feel that is relevant to them. And so, sure enough, um, I walk up to the, to one of the cars and I just quickly knock on the on the window, um, and they roll the door uh, the window just slightly. Now I'm telling my age, you know, they, they but they bring the window um, slowly down. And I tell them, hey, listen, we're all going to have to move. They said, oh, cool, thanks. That's what we figured and whatnot. I went to the second car and, you know, let's just call the spade a spade. There's an Asian woman and her husband sitting, uh, waiting for the vehicle. And she has a visor over her head, which is something that Asian folk I've noticed do. And I think I may be mis misunderstanding why they do it, but I think it's because they want to protect themselves from the sun. 
cool beans. But the trouble is that it prevents me from making eye contact with the individual. That's why I bring it up. So I knocked at her window lightly because I want to tell her that, you know, what's going on. And she starts screaming from inside the vehicle, get away, get away. And I'm like, all right, well, I knocked and I said, no, ma'am. And I'm waving my hands in a, you know, in a non-threatening gesture, I think. And she keeps on shouting at me to get away from her car as if I'm pissed off and upset at her, which I'm not. I'm trying to help her out. Well, I've noticed that I'm not getting anywhere as, you know, within a short period of time. So then I move to the passenger side of her vehicle. And again, I tap at the window at her husband who seems pissed off. But reluctantly, he also brings down the window slightly. And I said, sir, that car is stuck. We're going to all need to move back. And he goes, thank you. And then just rolls up the, the, the window as quickly as possible. Which to me, because I, I go ghetto then, it might as well be like a fuck you, leave me alone. I'm like, you know what, then fine. So I get into my car and sure, you know, I make arrangements to, you know, to tell all behind us, hey, we're going to need to move. It's going to be awkward. We all got to be uh, careful with pedestrians because they, they, they don't expect all these vehicles to be backing up. And within a span of 30 seconds, I am now out of this, you know, odd predicament and on my own rushing to pick up my kids. But it dawned on me as I was driving back, that I was driving to my actual errand, that it really upset me that this person assumed the worst about me in a very short period of time. I thought, well, look at how I'm dressed. Um, you know, I, I typically, because I'm running errands and I do sales calls and I, and I have appointments throughout the day, I'm in business casual attire. It's also, it's hot in Southern California, so I don't have, you know, long sleeves, uh, long, long sleeve shirts, but I do have the shorter stuff, but it's all still presentable and, and, and I'm dressed quote unquote correctly. I don't look like a gangbanger. I don't look like somebody that's going to cause trouble. I'm, you know, my face is well shaved. My hair is done up nicely. If you follow me on the Twitter machine, you know how handsome I am. And this person still assumed the worst. And I got to and I got to take into account was it because I'm a man or was it because I'm a Hispanic man? Cuz I'm Mexican. And I I would chalk it up to a combination of both, mostly because I've been around for 41 years and, and as an adult for over 20 now, and I this isn't the first time that somebody has assumed and acted out simply because I approached them and they thought that I was there to cause them harm, um, to hit on them, uh, you know, just to assigned to me in a, a nefarious agenda without ever once having exchanged a word with me. And that upsets me. Maybe it's because I'm a people pleaser. Uh, I'm somebody that wants to bring more goodness into the world than you know, bad stuff that I, that, that I introduce to it. But I, I just want people to like me, and I want them to like me for the goodwill that I do. And my act, my agenda that I knew of, was that I wanted to provide her information so that she could get out of this sticky situation so that she didn't have to do the research that I just had to do in those 30, in those 40 seconds or so. 
And it leads me to believe that we do a lot of that, that we jump to conclusions a great deal. And, I th and, and it's exasperated with the fact that we, we're also overt in how we display who we are towards one another. Um, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, really quickly, if I told you that there's a guy walking down the street and he's wearing a red hat with the America, Make, a great, Make America Great Again uh, sign on it, you will make a hundred assumptions from the get-go. Good, bad, ambivalent, whatever, you will make assumptions on that guy. Or if you're driving down in the freeway and you see some, a Prius with a coexist button uh, uh, sticker in the back of it, you will make assumptions of the person in, in, in the car. What if there's a woman and she happens to have a pussy hat on her head? You'll make a ton of assumptions on who she is, what her politics are, and, and whether you can approach her and have a conversation with her or not. Or, you know, if somebody has a, you know, a, a sign that says legalize it, or they have a Marvel, uh, they have Marvel characters on their shirt, or they have a DC characters on their shirt, or they're wearing all red like they used to back in the day, or all blue like they used to wear back in the day in certain neighborhoods. We make assumptions based completely on what we dress, how we, and whatnot. And oftentimes we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I've always talked about, and I, especially when I speak with my kids about following their instincts and their gut. But we are so polarized today with what are and, and we're told so many things about people that we have never talked to that we've never really had a conversation or debated with that all we got to go by is what they look like uh, and what they're wearing and although that does give us a bit of a glimpse of who they are they don't tell us who that person is in, in, in totality and so for me what, I, what it makes me wonder is how I go about doing that in the world. Um, what assumptions I make about people. Who will I interact with? Who will I start a conversation with? Just, and will I allow aesthetics to prevent me from starting a conversation with somebody where otherwise I would have? I don't go out of my way to, to talk to folks with MAGA hats. I don't. Mostly because I don't live in a place where there's a lot of that. But I know people that, mean, that don't wear it, that, very feel, that feel that way, that feel the way that our current administration does and that our you know, commander-in-chief does, that there's evil in the world and, and that evil is, um, has brown face or black face, um, and that anybody who doesn't speak the language or somebody who wasn't a native from here, they are the evildoers and that we must find a way to get, you know, get rid of them. I know people like that in my real life, unfortunately. Um, but I can have conversations with them. Now, we're not going to agree. And sometimes... I feel like I make inroads with them as far as my thought, or I show out to them, show the, show to them that there's hypocrisy in what they have to say, or that there's fallacy in what they have to say. And I will say that on occasion they will sh they have shown me some things, and I think, oh, that makes sense. But oftentimes it, I have to overcome my own prejudices and my own instincts to, to allow me to have those conversations with them. It's not easy, 
but I think it's paramount in our day and age for us to force ourselves to dialogue, truly dialogue, without um, insult, without being per, you know taking things personally, with people that are, that we think have opposite views of our, from ours. And I don't know that we have a very that we do a very good job of doing that. I don't think that we teach our children necessarily how to have those conversations. Everybody is in a, on a team, and having a dialogue with anybody outside of that team is seen like a betrayal. I was watching The Outsiders uh, a few weeks ago, a movie which has not aged well. Uh, and, I, and I don't know if you remember it. Uh, it's a story, I think, by S.E. Hint, uh, e. Hinton? I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, you know, but basically it's, you know, you have the greasers and you have the, you know, the, the, the kids from the good side of town and, and then they get into a fight and then, and, and, you know, and, and somebody ends up dying and that means that the protagonist and his friend have to run away, blah, 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 blah. Read the book. But there's a point in the film, and I don't know if it happened in the actual book, but there's a point in the film when one of the guys from, you know, the the... the there's no good side. There's no good side here. But from the rich side of you know town, or the, or the richer kids, uh, wants to interact with one of the greasers, the poor kids, and they're kind of at a neutral place, and they have a dialogue, and they have a conversation, just as teenage boys having conversations with, you know, with one teenage boy having a conversation with another teenage boy, without, uh, you know, the, the, each other pointing out class or race or background or anything. They're just showing genuine concern about, hey, what happened to your guy? Or, and I'm sorry, what's happening with your guy? And then you realize they're just two boys who are lost in the situation that they find themselves in, and they're trying to commiserate with one another and realize that if we stripped away all that other bullshit that we think is so important, the aesthetics and the class and the wealth and all of that, these are kids that actually could be friends if they didn't allow their allegiances and their friendships and their neighborhoods get in the way of that. And I find that quite poignant. And, and I don't know that we were always truly that way, because obviously that's a story from, you know, from back in the day. But that's if, if we think about a more perfect union, if that is our goal as a society, I don't know that we're necessarily moving that way. We stick to our tribes and to our tribes only. And we don't do the difficult exercise of reaching across the aisles, because there's more than one, and talking to people that are, outside, that are different than ourselves. And we do that in real life. We don't do that in real life. And we don't do that online either. One of the challenges that I have with Twitter uh, and, and other social media places lately is the fact that it has again the tribes you know create their circles and nobody is allowed in and out if to if i wanted to ruin my social presence today all i would have to do is agree with somebody from the more conservative side of things and all of a sudden, all these people that, well, a good portion of the people that know me on, on the Twitter machine and that follow me and like what I post, they would start questioning, who is this Hugo guy? Why is he agreeing with somebody else? Maybe he's not, uh, he, he's not one of ours. 
Maybe we need to start looking and interpreting what he's been posting over the years. Maybe he's a mole. And then the downward spiral continues from there. Why? Because I had a conversation, and or may, I might have agreed with a point um, that somebody made that I usually wouldn't have agreed with. I also noticed that with you know, the, the, the fact that I have been interviewing as of late, a lot of people that are in spaces where they're talking about sex and sex positivity, uh, sex as a business, and I noticed that some of my more conservative friends are recoiling and thinking, whoa, 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 does that mean that you're freaky or that you want to get into some shit and shit or, or that you, know, you and your wife uh, play outside of your marriage? No. I just find them to be genuinely interesting people, and they have something to say. And in the case of my last inter interview with Amberly Rothfield, the fact that that if you're a salesperson, uh, or you're somebody, and you're inter an entrepreneur, and somebody that you're looking to use social media as an outlet for to to, to you know to sell your wares or sell your product or sell your talents, that there's a lot of wisdom in there. If you got if you replace the word sex with, you know, brand building, there's there's a lot of value there, but no, we get stuck with the one thing that uh, that bothers us, and we become puritanical and and don't, and not allowed knowledge to flow into our heads, and that's what I fight for myself. That is what. I have to, as, a, as an active participant in this society, that's one of the things that I worry about the most, is am I allowing my heart to, be, to ossify and to not allow the voice of others to pierce through and reach me? And so I have to exercise just like I do you know, the rest of my body when I go to the gym to make sure that my heart is open. I would be lying to you if I, if I didn't tell you that I would grow concerned if out of nowhere two big dudes were in an elevator with me. You do make assumptions. I don't necessarily fault this lady, whether it really happened or not, uh, but I'm sure some you know, form of, uh, of that scenario that I read to you in the beginning has happened to somebody at one point in, in time. Would I be concerned? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a human animal, and a spidey senses come up, and, and, and you realize, okay, what, what situation am I in? What am I getting into? I don't know necessarily that it would have to be because they're black or they're brown or whatever. It's just the fact that you're going in with money, a resource that other people want, and you're going into a closed uh, space. Yeah, you have a right to be um, concerned. Or you have, you, you'll have the instinct to be concerned. But outside of that, what I do and what I hope you start doing is that upon seeing somebody wearing or looking different, different than you do, don't assume the worst. And I'm not telling you that that's an easy thing to do. It isn't. That's why it's called an exercise, because you have to work at it to, in order to you know, develop the skill. But don't assume the worst. One day, you might get to the point where you might say a hello, and then further after that, ask a polite question. Now, you may get an impolite answer, but that's all right. That's on them. As far as you're concerned, don't become closed off. Don't assume the worst. Think that the person maybe just hasn't had the education that you've had, and vice versa. 
and that there's knowledge in reaching across the aisles and talking to other people that are not like ourselves. I'm pretty sure when I heard it, it was Charles Barkley and, and, and Michael Jordan. I think that's because I had just watched Raw and I really wasn't that big of an Eddie Murphy fan. Well, that's a story for a different day. Peace.